Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship on what uh, finally feels like the first uh, Sunday of fall with the weather cooling off. Uh, glad to have you in worship. If you're visiting, we encourage you to go to the website and register. Let us know that you are worshiping with us. We can send you our newsletter and be in touch with you. Also want to remind you that this Wednesday night is the final of three presentations in our uh, series on racial reconciliation. We will be joined by uh, civil rights icon Bernard Lafayette, who was one of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s inner circle. He's going to share some stories with us, and that's at 630 on Zoom this Wednesday night. Also want to encourage you to continue to think about joining or starting a five at five group as the weather gets better, uh, either on a porch or a patio. This is a great way for us to connect and you can reach out to Anne-Marie if you have any questions. Uh, join with me if you would for a word of prayer. Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we have now started a new fall series called Common Ground, uh, Unity in a Polarized World. And my basic claim going into this series this fall is that despite political differences, ideological differences, uh, despite racial tensions, despite issues where we vehemently disagree, I still believe that there are more things that unite us and that bring us together than there are things that divide us. Let me say that again. I still believe that there is more that unites us than that divides us. I believe that there are more things that we have in common than that we don't. For example, we all want to love and be loved. We all want to be heard and respected. We all want our lives to matter and we want to make a difference. We want to leave the world a, a, a better place than it was before. And, and during a tense election season, sometimes we forget these things. We forget that there's more that brings us together, that we have more common ground, because we tend to focus and see all the differences, all the fighting, all the conflict. But I want to remind you that there is far more that brings us together than that divides us. It's just that sometimes we get focused on and distracted by the things that divide us. I told you last week that I am recommending uh, an excellent book to go along with this series. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm recommending a book by Arthur Brooks that's called Love Your Enemies. And at the very beginning of the book, Brooks says this, we don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem. If you listen to how people talk to each other in political life today, you notice that it is with pure contempt. And guess what? Contempt happens when we don't deal with our anger problems. Contempt is what happens when you demonize somebody who sees the world differently than you do. Brooks quotes well-known marriage therapist, a guy named John Gottman, who you've heard me quote throughout the years, who says this about our culture. He says, there's been a denigration of respect in the dialogue in this country. It's always us versus them. 
We see Republicans thinking that they are better than Democrats. Democrats thinking that they are better than Republicans. People from the coast thinking that they are better than people inland, even though I would say a lot of people from the coast are moving to Nashville right now, if you haven't noticed. It goes on and on, and I think that this becomes very harmful. One of the things that unites us as human beings is that we have to all deal with this emotion that we call anger. And if you look around right now, people are angry about many different things. Some are angry at the way that the U.S. has handled the COVID response. Some are angry that their kids haven't been in school for six months or more. Some are angry at the mayor. Some are angry at the school board. Some are angry that the church didn't open sooner than it did. Some are angry that the church is opened back up. Some are angry at the violence and lawlessness that we see in the streets and cities across our country. Some are angry at the racial tension. Some are angry because they lost their job and they didn't do anything to deserve that. Uh, some are angry because the government has not stepped back in to give more financial relief to people who are hurting. Some are angry that others don't seem to be taking COVID seriously. Others are angry because they feel like people are going too far with the COVID restrictions. Some are angry because they've had to work from home and be a parent and be a teacher and a tutor all at the same time. Some are angry and they don't even know why. All I'm saying is that in 2020, for many different reasons, anger is real. And chances are you have some anger in your life right now. And guess what? Jesus talks about anger because he knew that it is an emotion that we all deal with. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So then he says, if you have a problem with somebody else, if you're angry at somebody else, he says, before you place your gift at the altar, go and reconcile with that person. Go and resolve your differences. Go and deal with whatever it is that is bothering you. Go and work it out. Don't let it linger or fester any longer. And then he says, come and bring your gifts to the altar. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you angry right now? And if the answer to that question is yes, which I would assume it might be for many people, then how are you dealing with it? How are you addressing it? If you look at the Greek, you will notice that there are two kinds of anger that are talked about in the Bible and two different words that are actually used. The first is an anger that flares up quickly, but then goes away. The other is an anger that is long lived, that's kept alive. 
It's an anger that is never allowed to die. And, and I think it's this kind of anger that Jesus is really addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the anger that festers, the anger that grows over time, the anger that just eats away at you, the anger that bears a grudge and is flamed within the human heart. This is the anger that we must work hard to overcome. There are many scriptures in the New Testament throughout the Bible that deal with anger, and there are many examples of people in the Bible that get angry. Paul writes to the Colossians, get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. In the book of James, we read, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. In the book, Love Your Enemies, Arthur Brooks makes the case that anger actually comes in two different forms. He says, there's anger on one's own behalf, and then there's anger on behalf of others. And right now we see both kinds. In fact, we've probably all experienced both kinds of anger in recent months. Brooks says righteous anger is actually an expression of generosity. It is kind to stand up for the oppressed. It is compassionate to fight for those who are weaker than you are. Righteous anger can drive us to make a difference. Righteous anger can drive us to change things that we don't think are right. But anger in general, if it's not dealt with properly or channeled appropriately, can do a lot of damage in our life and in our relationships. Andy Stanley wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart. It's a great book. And he talks about anger as being one of those enemies of the heart. He defines anger very simply as this, the result of not getting something that we want. He says the root of anger is the perception that something has been taken, something is owed to us. And the problem is that a lot of our anger is very deep rooted. It goes way back many years. And so whatever it is that sets us off is usually not really the main reason why we're angry. It just tends to bring the other reasons up to the surface, but it's the thing that sets us off. Stanley asks a profound question that I think everybody should consider. He says, how long are you going to allow people that you don't even like, maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? How long? Anger is a matter of the heart, but it's a matter of the heart that we have to deal with. And that means that we have to pay attention to the things in life that make us angry, even if it goes back many years. It might be something that's left over from your childhood. It might be the result of a, of a bad relationship with a parent. It might be resentment that you have towards your spouse and resentment can turn into contempt and that's a big problem. Whatever it is, it needs to be dealt with because if it's not dealt with, it will come out in the wrong place and at the wrong time, and it'll do lots of damage. And anger has the potential, I think, to ruin the quality of our lives. And it's anything but spiritual when that happens. Here's another thought. Ambitious people who are used to achieving and earning and accomplishing and, 
being successful and getting their own way, they often have more anger because they get upset when things don't go their way. The same thing that gives us the drive and energy to achieve is what can also make us angry and dissatisfied. Ambitious people set goals and have expectations, and when those goals aren't met, we get frustrated and disappointed and angry. The longer I live, the more wisdom I see in the words of Jesus when he says, turn the other cheek, forgive. We're all going to have things happen to us in life that will make us upset, that will make us angry. And the question is, how will we respond? It, it takes spiritual maturity to not lash back out when somebody does you wrong. It takes spiritual maturity to not return evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. We have to ask ourselves, what does getting angry and mad actually accomplish? Vengeance is not a good thing. Getting even is not a good thing. So if we acknowledge that we all experience anger, then the important question I think left this morning is, how do we deal with our anger? If we all agree that, that as human beings we are united, we have common ground in the fact that anger is real in our lives for various reasons for different people, then the real question is, how do we handle it? How do we manage it? How do we cope with it? A few years ago, the Mayo Clinic, a renowned medical system uh, in this country, um, did some studies on anger, and they, re they released uh, a, a list of things that you should do when you are feeling angry or when you are starting to get angry. And so I want to leave these, these are 10 brief thoughts that I hope will help as all of us. I, I've come back to these time and time again, and I hope all of this will help us as we uh, deal with the emotion of anger uh, in this season. The first thing that they said was, think before you speak. Think before you speak. In the heat of the moment, it's easy to say something that you'll later regret. Take a few moments to collect your thoughts before saying anything and allow others involved in the situation to do the same. We don't need to say everything that comes to our minds, especially when we're angry. The second thing was once you're calm, then express your anger. As soon as you're thinking clearly, as soon as you've calmed down, then express your frustration in an assertive but non-confrontational way. State your concerns and your needs clearly and directly, but try not to hurt others or control them. So wait till you calm down and then articulate why you're angry. The third thing was go get some exercise, even if it's just a little bit. It's amazing what a walk or a run will do for you when you get worked up. Physical activity can help reduce stress that causes you to become angry. There is a direct correlation between stress and anger. We all know that. If you feel that your anger is escalating, then go for a walk, go for a run, uh, or spend some time doing some other kind of aerobic activity that will get your heart rate up a little bit. Fourth, take a time out. Timeouts aren't just for kids. <laughs> they work for kids, but they're not just for kids. Give yourself some short breaks 
during the times that are stressful. A few moments of quiet time might help you feel better prepared to handle what's going on without getting angry or worked up. Fifth, identify possible solutions to your anger. Instead of focusing on what made you mad in the first place, work on resolving the issues that are at hand. Does your child's messy room drive you crazy? Close the door. Make them pick it up. Is your partner's being late for dinner every night very frustrating? And plan your meals later in the evening or agree to eat maybe on your own a few times a week if the work schedule's in the way. Remind yourself that anger won't fix anything. It might just make it worse and then work on the solutions to the problems. Sixth, stick with I statements in these situations. Mayo said to avoid criticizing or placing blame, which might only increase the tension, use I statements to describe the problem. Be respectful, but be specific. For example, say, I'm upset that you left the table without offering to help clean up, instead of, you never do the dishes. Uh, I'm upset that you talk to me like that, instead of, you always treat me with disrespect. Seventh, don't hold a grudge. Forgiveness is a powerful tool in life. Jesus taught it because he knew how important it would be, and it was. But if you allow anger and other negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness and your own sense of injustice. But if you can forgive someone who has angered you, then you might both learn from the situation. It's unrealistic to expect anyone to behave exactly as you want all the time. We can't control other people, even though sometimes we think we can. So don't hold a grudge, because that just eats at you. Eighth, they said, use humor to release tension. I was thinking back during this coronavirus pandemic, in so many weeks I've lost my sense of humor and I haven't laughed as much as I would like to, and that's not healthy. Lightening up can diffuse tension. Using humor to help, help you face what's going on and what's making you angry uh, is, is a good thing. And, and, and so uh, sarcasm is one thing, but genuine humor where you laugh and connect is another. They say the, the closest distance between two people is when they laugh together. And I think that that's true. Don't lose your sense of humor. Ninth, practice relaxation and prayer. When your temper flares up, put your prayer life and your meditation life and your relaxation skills to work. Practice deep breathing. Imagine a relaxing scene. Say a calming word or phrase or scripture over and over again, like take it easy or be still. You might listen to music, you might uh, write in a journal, you might do yoga, whatever it takes to encourage relaxation and prayer, because prayer is essential to the Christian life. And Jesus talks about prayer later in the Sermon on the Mount. And then 10th and finally, the Mayo Clinic said, 
Know when you need to seek help. Learning to control anger is a challenge for everyone at times. But you might need to go and get some outside help from a pastor or a counselor if your anger seems like it's getting out of control. If it causes you to do and say things that you regret and that you can't take back. Therapy can be a healthy thing. And and as far as I know, therapists have been very busy this year because people are struggling in so many different ways. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about anger. In fact, in many of his epistles, he talks about anger, which makes me think that Paul probably wrestled with anger. But this is what he says to the Ephesians. And I want to close with these words today. So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so that they have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which you were marked with a seal from the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Amen.